Welcome. You're listening to the Well Engaged podcast, an unscripted conversation between myself, Gareth Shackleton, and osteopath Paul Tootleman about health, well-being, engagement in life and business. We go off-piste, we go here, there, and everywhere. So strap up, buckle in, and get ready for a wide-ranging discussion about all things about life. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to Lionheart Radio and Well Engaged with Paul and Gareth. Uh, this fine Friday morning, as you're listening to it, a um, rather grey Tuesday afternoon as we're recording it, but uh, yeah. you don't need to know that really. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, we'll be talking about various things today, but all with a thread of health, well-being, physical and mental, and uh, an engagement in life and business, really. Um, welcome, Paul. How are you doing? Good. I'm very good. I've had a really good week so far. Starting uh, to get back to normal. It's getting there. It's getting there. You know, all the stuff that we talked about, like um, if you can't get on with your business, what can you do to make things easy for yourself further down the line? And mm. kind of getting in my head the scripts I was going to talk about with patients after the lockdown finished and, you know, they started to relax because we've been open the whole time, but it's just difficult getting people out the front door. Yeah. But now people are starting to relax, they're getting engaged. Um, so having prepared the scripts during the lockdown, what I wanted to say and how I was going to approach it, not hard sell, like literally just popping up in someone's consciousness, but mm-hmm. and not as a result of like a pop-up ad or something, which is quite irritating. It's like it's yeah. a phone call and, you know, just reminding them that we did really good work before and, you know, that's probably worse now since lockdown um so i'm here and you can come and see me get on with it if you want and it's yeah. been really good getting back in touch with people everybody's really pleased that i'm still here i keep hearing that a lot thank goodness you're still here and um, <laughs> so i'm happy with that that's a good sign i've been doing some good work yeah and uh, obviously as, as as it starts to become busier then you you're sort of stepping back in if you're lucky enough to find a purpose in what you do um, you're stepping back into that purpose, which is great, you know, mm. especially now because people's worlds have been so small for so long. Um, can't go and see the hairdresser, can't have the chit chat and their sort of yeah. you know, head, head massage and stuff like that. But like, people come see the osteopath and really unlock some of that tension and just yeah. giving them extra time to tell their story, to tell their version of what's been going on. It's been fascinating hearing how everybody has reacted to it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So, uh, yeah, it's been really positive, really upbeat. Where, and um, Where does osteopathy sit then? Because, you know, you, we're hearing in the news a lot about dentists at the moment and um, how the, the precautions they're having to go through. And I, I imagine their work is somewhat more hazardous in terms of um, likely transmission uh, of the virus because of what, you know, they're in people's mouths, which, which you're not, I, I, I'm guessing. <laughs> very often <laughs> uh, so you kind of you're not in that you know right over there in terms of hazard um but clearly you're being allowed to open where hairdressers and, and beauticians are not so you know you're being considered in a different category from that as well which you know as, as perhaps quite rightly you should because you're a medical professional so 
just wonder where you sit in terms of the um, precautions you're having to take and the yeah yeah transmission risks that you're having to protect against well you can't we both know that you can't so what's the point of trying i mean it's kind of ridiculous right there was i was looking at some of the kit that's in the one of the therapy rooms i work in today and this kid this, this young osteopath and I've, I've, he did call, i did he did speak i did speak with him and uh he was unsure about what to do going back to work like with the protective gear mm. and so i explained to him like the protective gear is, is a guideline it's, it's it's not a legal requirement it's a mm. guideline right set by your governing body the government haven't given us any uh, what to do's and what not to do's. Now, they say you're allowed to open and you're allowed to practice because ultimately you're looking after the health of people, you know. Um, and if we can keep people out of the accident and emergency and out of the waiting rooms of the GPs, then they're getting better treatment and you're reducing the risk of spread if you believe that you can reduce mm -hmm. the spread. So um, he's got all of his gear lined up and it is, it is like a beekeeper's outfit. It's kind of like, <laughs> it's just, it's just kind of ridiculous, like. And it's not to say you couldn't be effective as a practitioner with through it, right? But how's that going to make your patient feel? Mm. <laughs> you know, if they feel like they're the, they're the, you know, the the, the, the lepers and the plague and everything rolled into one. So, so there are practitioners out there, osteopaths, who are you know following all these guidelines to the hilt. Because remember, osteopaths are people as well, and so. Not every osteopath is going to have a naturopathic background. Um, they're not really going to understand the processes of disease mm. in the same way that a naturopath does. And so, you know, they're scared too. You know, they don't want to catch it. Yeah. So, but as for me, it's, uh, it's quite simple, really. Like, I'm, you know, I, we can sign disclaimers if you want to sign a disclaimer, or we can agree now um, that we can't stop the spread of the disease. And actually, if you're in health, if you're in good health, you don't have a problem, right? Who are the risk candidates, mm -hmm. right? So if you haven't got two or three chronic medical conditions and you're not between 80 and 90, um, you, you're all right yeah. getting it. And so people are really happy to come in. I, I offer them the chance, like I'll wear masks and gloves and stuff like that. And if they want to, they can, but nobody has. And everyone's more than happy for me not to. So mm -hmm. I feel very privileged in that sense. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of shops and places aren't going to get to do that. They're going to have to hide behind this, you know, um, latex, uh, not latex, perspex barricades. That's right. Um, and that's, um, you know, that we'll, we'll, we'll adapt to that. We'll get used to that. Yeah. You have the benefit of being able to talk one-to-one -one with your customers, don't you? Whereas uh, a supermarket, the shops, they don't have the opportunity to do that. They have to be seen to be doing the right thing in order to encourage people back into the shop. Well, for sure, you know, if you if you go down the transmission rate route, then yeah, shop. You've got person after person after person after person, and you've got mm -hmm. lots of people in a day. Yeah, you're bound to get crossover one on one, um, and people wouldn't be coming in. You know, if people are really not well, then they're not coming in. You know, it's like yeah, don't come in if you're not very well. Rest. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so like, for me, it's just sort of cope business as usual, really. Yeah, I you know I make a point of using a nice. Um, bacterial spray on the bench but whilst the patient's with me before we do any yep. work so they can see me do it so i do kind of pay lip service and yeah washing my hands in between every treatment as well so yeah but people are really happy even to the point where you're shaking hands afterwards as well you know it's like we'll probably get some sort of you know 
rebuttal, I would imagine. Somebody's probably got an issue with the way that I'm practicing, but um, I'm happy to take these knocks on the chin because I believe that what I'm doing is improving the health of my, my patients mm -hmm. and my community. Yeah. And, uh, and mentally, I mean, just the, the physical contact. <laughs> People have been starved of physical oh, contact. Right. Just being able to talk to someone face to face and, and not have two meters between you is. Uh, yeah. um, that, that, that social contact so important, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's it's, it's a really special time at the moment yeah. for re-engaging with, with with customers mm -hmm. and patients. Very good. Yeah. So it's been yeah, it's been fun. It's been all right. How are you? How are you? And how is your tribe? Uh, tribe. That's an interesting one. Yeah. Very well. Uh, we're doing we're doing good. Um, I've been working throughout, so you know, no change for me there. Really, everything's online through. Um, video conferencing platforms and uh, uh, it's been going great. You know, clients have changed direction so they can keep trading. Some have um, more or less shut down for a time, but used the time to get their systems and processes in place. And that's been fantastic to see people making progress on that where you know, often with the best intentions, progress can be slower than they'd like with that kind of thing, because there's always things to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, being able to see operations manuals appearing virtually and uh, systems and processes and checklists and um, you know, businesses getting onto that kind of footing so that the owners can now delegate more and more of what they do as they go back and, um, uh, so that they can be more strategic in what they do. And they've had that time to sit, stand back and, and uh, take stock of things from that point of view. And uh, it's been great to see all of my clients really do that. Brilliant. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, interesting times coming up as more and more businesses are opening up and uh, particularly up here now as we start to see hopefully the hospitality and leisure industry opening up next month. Um, really important time for lots of businesses in this area with the tourist trade. So to see how that goes and, um, you know, I've got my fingers crossed that things don't take a turn for the worst that encourages the government to uh, do an about turn with the, the lifting of lockdown. Because whatever <laughs> we believe about it, it's not, it doesn't matter. It's what they believe at the end of the day in terms of, numbers and transmission rates and uh, what they decide to do afterwards so uh, yeah so we've, we've just we just give them the the the, the, the responsibility we give them the power we, we have haven't we yeah exactly if you think, do you think we're headed for a lockdown then because it, it doesn't feel like it to me i i don't think so you know i, I think there's we, we won't know for a long time but i do have the sense that the summer's helping, that uh, the virus isn't quite so effective, virulent uh, at the moment. Um, but there is that fear that as we go into the autumn and, and winter that it might uh, come back for a second second bite of the cherry, perhaps a right. phrase that we shouldn't use. Imagine <laughs> that, like, what a wonderful picture. As the night starts <laughs> drawing and get colder and darker, yeah, coming back with a vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> but it would be crazy, right? So there's a very real possibility, right? I mean, it's a perfectly logical assumption to make to draw. 
And so if people start to get scared and we have another lockdown, well, now we're really up against it. Do you know what I mean? It's like now we're, we're locked down, we're isolating, and uh, we're not going to work, lacking our sense of purpose again. Yeah. Back on universal credits again. You know, all, all that stuff going on. And you haven't got exposure to any daylight either. <laughs> it's yeah. just not enough of it out there. That's Especially right. if you're not stocking up over the summertime now. So yeah, you've got to get that sunshine. No, it's interesting, isn't it? Later. Later. Yeah, and so wow. So you touched on the um, the oppression, the, the the fact that we give we've given the government power to make these decisions and uh, to effectively uh, imprison us over the last uh, two months, effect to, to some extent, and. Um, it reminded me of the, uh, the the hot topic of the day. You know, now that lockdowns being lifted, the hot topic seems to be all around. Um, uh, forgotten his name, George. George. George Floyd. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So and um, Black Lives Matter and racism. So uh, you know, if we, I guess we don't have a right really to consider ourselves oppressed. Well, no, completely, but it's, you know, some of the, you, you argue the twice. I understand the quotes like, you know, you, you don't need to have slaves to have created gospel, right? You, you could have had gospel without having slavery, but mm. the fact that something so powerful and so beautiful comes out of something like that, I think is, well, it's worth, it's worth acknowledging because I don't think anything good comes out of slavery from my experiences up to now, but there's a good point. I mean, you could be free, you could be a free citizen or think that you're free as a citizen to walk around and do what you want to do and go to Barnard Castle and you know, do the things that a free person is entitled to do. Mm -hmm. But mentally, you, you might hate that, you know, where you are, what you're doing for, for work, how your relationships are stacked up, you might have just got stuck in a position that you don't really want to be in and now you can't get out of it. And mentally, that's what you're thinking about. So you could be appreciating the flowers. You could be smelling the, the summer bouquets as you walk around. But if you're thinking about where you don't want to be, then you're stuck in a mental prison. Yeah. And I think that's really what um, the behavior of the media through this whole lockdown. I mean, as if we would expect the media to behave well at any time. Do you know what I mean? It's like, why am I even surprised? <laughs> right. But I suppose because the messages have been so serious and it's had such a dramatic impact on people's fear levels. Yeah. You know, it's just more damaging, you know. You know, it's just more damaging in that sense. So we, yeah. we've got to be really careful uh, in terms of our, if we understand how people are going to get affected by that, you know, then how, how, how in any way can you make that less appealing for people to watch the news? Because it's just there on your box, right? And people are going to be sitting down watching TV. The news always comes on on the hour somewhere. Yeah. And so it's on, well, we might as well leave it on. So you, you can't stop this pouring in. It's almost like it's inescapable and unavoidable. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The, um, the escalation of the protests that's happened. I mean, there was protesting going on. Um, particularly in America, I think, even before George Floyd was, uh, was killed, murdered. And, um, but that's escalated and it almost feels like, we, you know, we've been talking about this for three or four weeks 
with the feelings that you had of being oppressed, being imprisoned, giving over power to to a government that really didn't have your best interests at heart, mm. and uh, you know all of that uh, opinion and attitude that you had through this has spilled out, and that's exactly what we're seeing. Um, the focus of that may be around racism and anti-slavery, um, but the the words that are being used are the same ones that you were using. <laughs> the cause has been there for many, many years. I'm not, I'm not saying that they've um, taken on the, the, the words that you used, and nor did you, but... Um, the parallel is, is so clear and it's, it's clearly more than the racism that, that is out there, that they, the systemic racism that they're protesting against. It's more than that. It's about the fact that they've, we've all been oppressed to some extent and we're all, we've all got a feeling against that right now. Yeah. We're, we're finding a, an outlet for that in the, uh, the protesting that Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Well, yeah, so obviously I, you know, I'm not claiming I've spent 400 years of, you know, my ancestors, but, you know. Three suffering. weeks was enough for you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I suppose the similarities are there, isn't it? It's like, in a way, it doesn't, I mean, really, race is it's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Because all that difference is, is based in, like, you know, the, the first three millimetres of your skin. Mm -hmm you dig down below three millimeters and then we're all exactly the same. It's like, it's like there's this whole thing. We've got this narrative, which is just so sort of warped and twisted and strange. And why we don't just straighten out, I don't know. Um, but we're all slaves. You know, we're all debt slaves. Mm -hmm. If you've got, if you've got a mortgage, if you've, if you've got a car loan, if you've got a student loan, if you've got a business loan, you're in debt, which means you're a slave. And yeah. That's how we operate. That's what our credit system and our whole economy is based on. It's about putting That's people right. in debt and then and then working your way out of it. Indentured uh, labour. Yeah. And so, if you're aware of that, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're you know if you're an osteopath or if you're you know cleaning the bins at McDonald's or whatever. It's mm. like you you you've been dictated to, and you're having your potential to improve yourself removed, uh, which is. It's not nice for the, for the best of times, but also if you genuinely believe that the people are telling you that you can't do it are incompetent mm -hmm. at best. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it, it, well, look, the whole lockdown was, was, was building up those feelings of people anyway, right? So, you know, there's a there's tinderbox brewing and, and heating up there. And I've, I've, I've watched a few things about um, George Floyd. I've heard a couple of people talk about him at quite some length, and it turns out he's, he's, he wasn't exactly a shining example of a human being. You know, he wasn't an example for your kids to follow, that sort of thing. Got a bit of a bad history there, but what that also tells me is most of his, his, his criminal record is based around drugs. Right. And it's like, well, if, you've, you know, if, you're, if you're black and you're living in a country which is you know, inherently notorious for racism, right? Um, and you're economically deprived, right? In other words, you're poor and you're a debt slave, right? Mm -hmm. And if life sucks, then you will develop an addiction. You'll look to anesthetize it. And if you get caught up in drugs, and unfortunately for him, it was cocaine, which is just 
a horrible thing. It's rapacious and it's and it's and it's costly, mm. and um, and it warps your mind. You know, mm-hmm. makes you unable to think properly. So, you know, you, you look at the conditions and people say well, it's the same for everyone. It's like, well, yeah, we are all kind of in the same boat. We can all slip below the poverty line. We can all make bad choices. I don't, I, I don't know enough about what it's like to be a black man in America, but I'd imagine it's yeah. a lot harder than being a white man. Normally stuff doesn't happen if black people die, but if white people die, stuff gets done. So, you know, now if we're having, you know, you know, we talk, I, I can't compare my lockdown fury with 400 years of you know, <laughs> enslavement. But, um, no, but I can. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if white people are starting to say, hang on a minute, this isn't on then there's more yeah. chance of something getting done, I think, is, is what I'm trying to say. I mean, yeah, and I, I think there's a lot of white people that think that anyway. I, you know, they're also coming out of the woodwork, if you like, because of the fact that they've been locked down too and they're feeling that oppression and they, they, want, to, they want to vent, they want to voice their uh, frustration at uh, the situation and this is a, a good cause to do that. And, uh, you know, regardless of the... You know, the virtues of the man himself, um, or, or non-virtues, you know, the, the cause is an important one, one that needs to be addressed. And uh, um, so, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but I think it's uh, it's important to keep all of these things in perspective but the, the fact that white people are getting involved is well it's probably important isn't it because things aren't going to change unless enough white people do almost by well, definition well, sadly things <laughs> haven't changed for black people. <laughs> things haven't really changed for black people in 400 years no matter what they've done to try and protest so you know yeah, i heard someone talking about it or probably 10 days ago now saying you know we Things won't change unless white people make the decision for it to change, and that, that's sadly the way it is. Because you know, regardless of uh, how you and I might feel about racism, there are more white people in power than there are coloured people. So um, they're the ones that are going to make the decision. So enough of them, enough of us, uh, as white males, have to stand up and ask for a change to be made yeah 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 Yeah. i was was quite surprised by how um the the protests turned on statues in bristol of uh, of people you know from the 17th century Yeah, yeah i understand the connections between slavery and uh and black rights movements in, in America. Um, but it, 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 I couldn't quite get my head around that, you know, call me thick if you like, but I couldn't quite get my head around what a slaver in, he wasn't necessarily a slaver, but whatever you want to call him, he, uh, you know, somebody who, a merchant really, um, in 18th century, had to do with racism in the 21st century it seemed like an odd target but i suppose they needed a target and that's that's as well yeah. as it gets i suppose there's, there's always this sort of i don't know if it's an expression but you could call it white guilt i suppose so 
like obviously like you know although i think just i think around christmas time last christmas when i was back at my mum and dad's we found out one of my dad's relatives had found out that one of our great great uncles or something was actually i don't think he was a slaver but he was involved in a company that was you know building or leasing slave mm. ships so i don't think there's anybody really in this country if you're of this country's origin right that isn't some way going to be connected to slavery quite quite probably no. the country's pretty much built on it isn't it you know, the yeah. 16th and, 17th century yeah I mean, if, of great britain yeah so any, any any of your ancestors if 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 they weren't you know really well to do you know merchants cotton tobacco you know that sort of stuff or just direct slavers, there would probably be Wainwrights making the ropes for the ships. Mm-hmm. There'd be blacksmiths making the shackles. You know what I mean? The whole economy would be based on on, on the provisions that that was making. Yeah. And cotton, so those cotton mill owners, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Builders, you know, whatever. It's all got some connection to slavery at some point. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we don't live. It, I can't say we don't live. We all live in different worlds, but what I'm, I suppose what I'm getting at is that whilst I don't, I don't believe I'm inherently racist, okay, but I do believe that I live in a world where I benefit mm. from having had white suppression, right? So I do believe that, and it's it's kind of difficult because obviously we didn't put people in chains; we weren't responsible for the slavery, but. Yeah. I can understand why people would want to pull a statue down as if to say, actually, you know what we want to, we're aware that this is a, you know, a symbol of our shame, if you like, we want to try and get rid of it. Although funny enough, that one in Bristol, did you know that there was another statue opposite on the other side of the road? There was, there was another statue opposite of the anti-abolitionist who came from Bristol. Right. And they put that statue up opposite him because that slaver is looking into Bristol, I think from the, from the sea. Yeah as if he's sort of purveying over the whole city and then you've got this abolitionist who's looking at him so he's got he's got the city behind him right so they're with him and he's he's just looking at this slaver saying hang on a minute you know it's not it's not it's not just for you to uh, go picking right you know. yeah uh, so that was an interesting story. the interesting thing about that though is they didn't actually erect that statue because he was a slaver they erected it because of the good things he did for the city of bristol Admittedly, with money obtained from the slave trade, but um, yeah. Yeah, hospitals, libraries, schools. Yeah, yeah, given, yeah. I heard he was a bit of a philanthropist, so yeah. you know that's that's useful. Yeah. If you're white, it's great. That kind of thing that got me thinking. You know, were slavers racist? Well, I'll open that question up to you. I mean, it's a question in my head. Were slavers racist? Are they, uh, is it right to target our rage, our anti-racism at icons of slavery? I understand that racism may have occurred because of slavery, but were slavers racist? Well, you know, that's, what, how would I know? Um... <laughs> I would imagine, though, that if you're acting in a way, or you're, you're sort of <coughs> your your, your behaviour, whether it's professional or personal, is 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 dehumanising another human being. In other words, you're putting them in chains and 
basically comparing them to like an animal, something you sell at a cattle market. You're dehumanizing people. Mm. But at the time, at least at the start of the um, African slave trade, slavery was normal. Slavery was something that happened most, a lot of white people in this country even, certainly mm. in Europe, were slaves. And it's not as African. African. The word slave comes from Slavic, from the Eastern Europeans, that, that particular region that were considered often taken as slaves in battles, and that's where the word comes from. Right. But then, you know, right. through the centuries, that um, uh, slavery and indentured service was, was the norm. And it, it, if I remember going back a long time now, the kind of uprising of the slaves in this country and the, the, the giving of rights back to uh, white slaves, as, it, as, as we will label them, um, resulted then in African slaves kind of taking over because people needed a labor force. Yes. Um, so, you know, when you think about it like that, slavery wasn't necessarily about um, racism. It was about an easy target. It was about tribalism, maybe. It was about picking on people that weren't you, of your tribe, and using them for labor. But they were replacing one set of people that they did that to with another. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not as if you know black African tribes would have taken slaves. Well, well that's right. Yeah, like we still take slaves. I think on the human trafficking element mm. of it, pretty grim. Yeah, I mean one one tribe to another, uh, skirmishing across the tribal boundaries to uh, steal slaves and take them back, and and. I'm not an expert on African history, but I have the impression that that kind of thing probably happened based on my limited knowledge. Well, for two people with very limited knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was, um, I think the racism, as far as I can figure that out from what I've, you know, from asking myself that question initially, the racism kind of occurs afterwards as almost a justification of. Um, That these that the people that they were putting into slavery must be of a lesser class, if you like. Yeah. And then that became uh, connected with the color of their skin, and and then you know the the people of color became considered of lower class, and that's where the the racism and oppression starts to come in, and and that, that's almost a secondary thing to the slavery, if I can get the sequence in my head right that, that seems to be the way for that it works yeah. in my head and so the uh well, well the need is it need for slavery mm. really stems from you know, e exploiting a workforce isn't it yeah it's having manual labor you're increasing your productivity without increasing your overheads still costs money to feed and home slaves though yep but less than paying them a salary for the year. Well, that's how it happened in Brazil. That's how slavery was abolished in Brazil. Mm. And about 10 years after, America follows suit. 
on on their you know human rights grounds mm. that's great pr but ultimately it's cheaper to pay slaves a low wage mm-hmm. and let them clothe and feed themselves and it is housing them and look after them so yeah. once the portuguese worked that out it was like abolish slavery but now you've got black people who were slaves who now can't afford to clothe and, and shelter themselves very well so you're going to find people start turning to to theft and thievery mm-hmm. and um, so then you get the connotations of crime yeah. with black people yeah uh, and that's inherent in brazil worse than anywhere i've ever seen mm. you know um and i suppose it's also evident in what we see through the news reports in america i mean it's always talking about um, you know, black people being killed by white police officers although i think there's you know, statistically i think there's greater chances of black people killing black people i think most of the black people that are murdered in america are killed by other black people mm-hmm. but that's surely just in symptomatic of the fact that if you've got literally got areas of towns which are zoned off which black people who have got very hardly any money because they're coming from poor backgrounds can't afford to buy property on right so you've got Mm -hmm. the development of suburbs and the projects you know Um, you can see how the odds are kind of stacked against you slightly yeah and have been from the start really and and as you described it there it's a ever fulfilling uh, prophecy yeah it's stuck in it seems strange how we would we would judge you know, people that are different from us because they you know are well everybody's in the same boat you know it's like well actually you know africa had been doing just fine until the white man showed up do you know what i mean it's not like they didn't know what was going on or how to live with the land or you know have their own ancient tribes and cultures and stuff like that and so we just so something in our arrogance we we've always done and still do to some extent don't we we think that we know best and we go into countries and we decide to tell them that the best way to do things is our way and we did that in africa and we've been doing it in iraq and in, in afghanistan more recently um we've been doing it to iran uh more recently still and uh yeah. When when do we learn our lesson that actually just leave people alone? <laughs> yeah. So it kind of sounds like their own of, It kind of goes in parallel, don't you think, with our sort of medical dogmas as well? It's like we think we know best, so we get involved and we tell people what they should or should yeah. do. Like just Interesting. sometimes you just need to leave it alone, you know. It's funny, isn't it? And so especially when you think of relating it back to COVID-19, well, look, one thing about the riots is it shows us that people are happy to get together in thousands and thousands of people. And I haven't, I, I don't know if it's caused any rise in the infection rates over there. I, I haven't heard anything about it, but... Over in America? Yeah, have you heard anything about rising infection rates? I haven't heard anything specifically related to that, but I guess you wouldn't see it for two weeks anyway, would you? Mm. The incubation time, so... Uh be interesting to see if there is any um, uptick in the cities where there have been big uh, big protests and even over here you know big protest in london big protest in bristol be interesting to see if there's any uptick there well you see so people are fired up and they're ready to gather we've got the militia gareth we've got the militia this is a practice run (laughs) well you you were calling for a revolution and uh Careful what you wish for. 
<laughs> it's coming. <laughs> well, yeah, completely. It was funny, you know. Listen, I was just driving back this afternoon, listening, and the news popped up, hijacked me again before I could turn it over, and it was talking about the. Um, Oh, hang on, what was it? The was it talking about the shops going back on Monday. No, sorry, it just suddenly left me. <laughs> That's a good story. <laughs> That's a great story, Paul. You're, you like that one? <laughs> How does he do it? Um, it'll come back to me. It'll come back to me. Oh, right, no, yeah, people get together in large numbers, right? Might cause a resurgence in COVID if you believe in it. Oh, yeah. So if you were like, again, it might be controversial for some people to hear me say that I didn't agree with lockdown and I still don't agree with the lockdown and I definitely don't think that we should do it again ever, right? For sure. Six in 10,000 people dying. If you've got three, it's like you were probably going to die anyway. And that sucks to hear mm. if it's you and your loved one being affected by it. But, you know, really, I mean, the, the after effects of what more people will suffer with as opposed to just a natural process taking place kind of seems crazy. So if you believe that, you know, we should have been really focused, the information should be on building health, getting health, make sure that you're not at risk, make sure that you are taking and you're doing whatever you can. So you're not at risk of this, right? And yeah. build that over three months, right? That would have been an interesting project. But if you sort of, then look at all the decision-making processes that are still going on, like the ridiculous procedural work. I mean, someone somewhere is writing down these procedures, right? And changing every day. And, you know, it's all, you know, built on whether it's, you know, making sure that you have the right tape in the right place on the right floor or you know, making sure that you don't take cash or just take card payments when you go back to work and all the, you know, follow if you wanted to, right? Yeah. Is all based on something which is unnecessary mm. because we shouldn't have had a lockdown in the first place if we're dealing with from a health perspective yeah. from people's health mental health physical and mental and the health of the economy right and we shouldn't have had that lockdown yeah. and so those people that are now telling us what we can and can't do and how we have to behave are the same incompetent people that made the choice for us to do it in the first place and so Again, it just makes me suddenly think, like, well, hang on a minute. If they're that incompetent on something as simple as health, right, what else are they incompetent at? And really, how do we, how do we improve on this? Because this is, you know, like, I, I, I saw a funny meme the other day. It says, yeah, absolutely nobody in 2015 guessed where they would be in five years' time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. We ask this question a lot when we're setting goals. Like, where do you want to be in five years' time? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Didn't, see this one. didn't see this coming no. it's uh yeah but um i lost my train of thought there it's getting late paul that's the problem it is. Um, close to bedtime isn't close it close to bedtime that's right yeah well, it's gonna sound strange at, uh, when this comes out on a friday <laughs> <laughs> wait should we so we take a really little break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, the email that we had and we'll talk about uh, bits and pieces. Yep. Should we take a break and listen to uh, the interview that we have? Of, yes. Um, yeah. Let's do that. So, um, we've got a, a, an interview for your edification, hopefully, um, with Angela Carrington of The Bigger Picture. Uh, it's a photographic agency in Newcastle. 
uh, talking about her experience of um, lockdown and how it affected her business and her personally um, and her employees and how they've used the time productively to uh, develop the business and to uh, develop new angles and come out of the uh, the lockdown strong so uh, hopefully there's something in there for people in business whether that's business owners or employees to um, take something from and um, a nice little story hopefully for everybody to listen to right we'll listen to a tune and then uh, then have the interview and we'll come back after that <laughs> oh, requests. Um, boy, do I want to request. We built this city on rock and roll. How about that? Built this city on rock and roll. Excellent. Enjoy. And welcome back. Uh, you're listening to Lionheart Radio with Paul and Gareth on Well Engaged. And we've just been listening to. Uh, Angela Carrington of The Bigger Picture, talking about her lockdown experience. So what did you think of that, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> Very soothing voice. Um, well, yeah, well, look, it's great, isn't it? It's great to hear stories about people who, like, you know, bother to pay attention to what you've been telling them, Yeah, you know? It's so sweet of you to say so, but uh, yeah. you know, Angela's done a great job and, uh, you know, forced into the pretty much giving up all of her business for uh, at the start of the lockdown because photographers weren't allowed to uh, go into places where they would be congregating with people. Interesting that journalists were, and maybe we, we, we come back to that uh, point, but um, uh, journalists were considered key workers, but in her profession of photography, she was, she, she had to shut down. And uh, so, yeah, that was difficult for a while, but then, you know, pivoting towards product photography where they could arrange a delivery of products and to, to be delivered they could take the photographs clean them up and then arrange for them to be taken away you know that, that that's kept them going for a while and um and now as they've started to come back out of lockdown and measures are being lifted finding new um income streams in things like uh, funeral photography and, and live streaming video of, uh, of funerals, which they've never done before, but a uh, real need for it at the moment. So and not because the death rate's higher, it's just that people can't get together for the, for the funeral, the families can't get together. And so being able to live stream them uh, so that the whole family can be involved, even though they can't be there, um, it's been a real uh, positive, Thing that they've been able to do for people and um, you know, that's really important to Angela she's uh, very much about celebrating what's good about the northeast but also using photography as a as a force for good so um, I think uh, some positives to come out of it and uh, yeah looking forward yeah, to well. go from strength to strength again now I wonder how much of that though is uh, so she's obviously you know been very strategic there it's, it's difficult to come up with ideas like that if you're stressing and fretting about everything so mm -hmm. you know, obviously she's, she's working with you then she's a got an eye on being strategic or making time to be strategic and you know but also she's got the benefit of talking to you so you know as well you know it's just like having that guidance it's like just being heard is enough to uh to help people you know yeah, I, I like to think that's been a real uh, benefit to 
to clients, uh, not just my clients, but anybody who's working with a coach, that they've had someone there that they've been able to talk to through all of this, not necessarily to give advice, because none of us have been through this uh, before, um, but to, to be somewhere who, someone who will listen and allow them to process and to take that calm um, moment out of it all and just be able to process your thoughts and be asked the odd question to, to trigger a different thought and a different way of thinking. So, um, but you know, the things that Angela did to reduce the stress response right at the start was get back to her numbers. You know, you've talked about how important that's been for you over the years since we've talked. Um, you know, and that was the, almost the first step for her to figure out where she was and that they could get through this. Um, and, and then from there, that gave her the, the springboard to move on and to build some business back in. It's just made things easier then. So knowing that she was safe and the business was safe and her employees were safe and the jobs were safe, that she could then move forward. And that was a really important step. So, uh, powerful, isn't it? It's a good example of when, even if you're not really sure what to do, you know, something as simple as just doing your numbers and just getting a sense of where you are, it, it, it's an opportunity to start taking action. And, and once you start acting on something, you know, nothing has changed in your whole world apart from your approach to it. And all of a sudden you're taking action. Now you've got this idea about something else that allows you to sort of take action. I mean, reality is what we make of it, isn't it? It's, it's our, the way we interpret the world. That's our reality. And if we can change our reality just by looking at the numbers and get a different view of things, that's, uh, that's powerful. Yeah. Very powerful. Yeah. And that's that's in business, but it's also in our own personal lives as well. And just taking stock and seeing where we're at, and then we can move forward. So. Yeah. yeah, or not. <laughs> it's a might be yeah. time to stay as you are. You know. Yeah. I think the other interesting thing of that interview that you know hopefully people picked up on right at the end was um, how this time has been very important for Angela to. Um, connect back with her hobbies to do the things that she enjoys doing, you know, keeping fit, playing guitar, um, doing her uh, marine skipper exams, that kind of thing. Um, and how important those things are to her, even though she doesn't have an awful lot of time to do them normally. Uh, and so having that realisation or that time to focus on those things now has made her realise that she doesn't want things to go back to the way they were before COVID and that those things need to be built into her time, into her week. And she needs to de design her business around those things much more carefully to um, to keep them as part of, of her life. And uh, We've all been given that opportunity to reappraise things over the last three months. And, you know, we, it's been horrible for many people. It's been a difficult time for many people, but hopefully... You know, there are those silver linings for all of us that um, we can take something from and move forward with. Yeah, it's always painful when you feel like something's being taken away, whether that's mm. income or money or you feel like your human liberties or your rights or whatever. But 
inevitably you you learn more about yourself when stuff's taken away yeah yeah it's really good it's really another good like with the last guest we had um stephanie yeah good comparisons there it's just it's nice to you know hear people taking action and you know appearing to get it right you know and it's it's, it's like it's what I, I think i mentioned at the beginning or before we started the show it's like it's a really really special time to to do business now because everybody's sore, everybody's hurting, right? Or has been through this process. And so there's much less ego involved. You know, the typical sort of you know, business meeting where everybody walks in, you know, and sits down and, you know, flaps their jackets, shoulders around and, you know, swings various yeah. bits of their anatomy around. There's none of that. None of that. So, you know, if you get into business now, you've got a chance to really express yourself honestly with people and, I guess for photographers as well, like especially if they're dealing with the, the more vulnerable sides of human conditions, like death and funerals and stuff like that, you know, you got you got a you got a real opportunity to provide a real positive force. You know, mm. it's a real strong sense of purpose in that work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the people will be grateful for it as well. So, this as we've talked about before, isn't it? The the importance of having purpose in business and a you know, purpose driven business should be much more durable it should be uh, easier to attract good employees and good customers and um, and we've seen examples of those things of those types of businesses that are purpose-driven and how powerful they are it's not just about profit it's uh, profit has to be part of it that's that's part of being a business but it has to be purpose there and then uh, and that makes it all worthwhile and meaningful it's almost like profit should be a symptom, right? It should be a symptom of your of your business purpose, right? As opposed to being the goal and, and you know, do whatever it takes to get it. You know? Yeah. I mean it's like it's like the analogy with life, isn't it? You know, we um oxygen is absolutely vital to living. And money is absolutely vital to a business. But we don't think about oxygen. We don't even think about breathing all that often. We should do, perhaps a bit more than we uh, than we do. You know. um, but we don't. We don't need to. It's all taken care of subconsciously for us. And maybe as you as you say that maybe profit and cash flow should be the same thing. I'm struggling with that analogy a little bit now that I've started to say it because you know we, I profess you know I. I hope my clients are being very conscious about profit because that way you actually know where you are. And if you're not looking at your numbers, you don't know where you are. So you have to retain that consciousness yeah. and profit and yeah. cash flow. And yet, as you say, it should almost be automatic on autopilot and not having to worry about it so that it's just like breathing. Well, that, that will, will be inherent, isn't it? If, you, if you're disciplined and to begin with and you... Mm develop that habit of knowing where you are financially i mean when i first started it would, being aware of that it was every day i mean i used to write, have a notebook around with me if i bought something for lunch if i popped in and bought some petrol or whatever it was as i wrote it down it got written down it's like a food diary you'll never remember yeah. completely. Right. and that's a bit excessive i mean you get used to what you the important numbers mm -hmm. and you're looking at it all the time and then it will become subconscious yeah yeah. And then really, you just know that, for example, if I see certain, if I see five people in a day, I know roughly that that's going to equate to a certain amount of income. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you know, 
I, I don't need to sort of sit down and watch that stuff. I know if I'm having a, a busy day or a bad day. But the analogy does hold up, doesn't it? It's like meditation. You know, we, we, we don't need to think about our breathing for it to happen on a so, minute by minute basis. But, you know, as you talk about a lot, we need to take that time to stop and meditate and think about our breathing mm. and to, to breathe properly and, and deeply and, um, or even follow the Wim Hof method if, if, you know, if that's what you want to do. I've seen an interesting yeah. paper on that, by the way, which we can talk about maybe next time. Okay, great. Yeah. Brilliant. But um, yeah, so you need to take that time out to meditate. And then, so the analogy there with uh, the money is the money should be a symptom, it should be a side effect, it should just happen automatically. But you need to take the time, maybe once a day, maybe once a week probably once a day actually just to stop and think about the money you know to look at the cash flow forecast just to check that everything's still fine check that the debtors hasn't got out of control or the other creditors and uh, that you're up to date with everything but once you've done that again it can go on autopilot and for the rest of the day and you can focus on clients and the business and employees yeah on autopilot again so just like meditation go back to it every day just to check in and have that conscious moment on your on your cash flow i love that thank you paul that's a brilliant analogy you've just helped me. <laughs> <laughs> well, i think you i think you did most of the unpacking on that one Gareth, so, yeah. <laughs> thank you yeah. yeah good so um we had an email last week paul yeah great amazing Loved yeah it. So do you not remember, sorry? sorry, I was going to say it's not from me. The email wasn't sent from me. That's right. And it wasn't from Sid from. Sid Sid oh. <laughs> haven't heard from him for a while. I haven't heard no, from him right. for a while. Yeah. I hope you're doing well, Sid. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, it was uh, from Tracy. Uh, hope she doesn't mind me using her name. Uh, do you remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking about an MP? that we didn't hear anything about anymore. Can you remember what we were talking about? It was something along the right... I was, I was letting off steam about how um, corrupt and incompetent our politicians are. And right. yet there was one Scottish woman who... I think it was Paisley she was an MP for. And uh, we couldn't remember her name. That's right. Uh, so Tracy did. Uh, the MP's name is Mari Black. That's the one. Yeah, there we go. And uh, yeah, so fill in the, the rest of the email for you. Um, Mary Black's still an MP, uh, but you never see her because she believes that the government should be responsible and held accountable for their actions, and they don't like it. She's brilliant, Tracy says. So, um, no, that's good. There you go. So no. she's still around, still um, holding our MPs to account in, in a very quiet unassuming way by the sound of it so uh, good well, on her maybe she's not quiet but she just never gets any coverage well that's right yeah i mean look at how censorship is going at the moment i mean that kind of it's strange isn't it like more and more papers more and more articles more and more things are disappearing like you know i was reading a comparisons it was a comparison study between kawasaki disease and radiation poisoning mm. it turns out there isn't a difference between kawasaki disease and radiation poisoning right Okay. Which was really interesting. And this uh, was a comparison study and it had cross-references of people to go and have a look at. So I went to go and find some cross-references, couldn't find them. Mm. I went back to the original comparison study, 
couldn't find that. So it's literally vanishing before our eyes, right? Yeah. And so if you're removing the science, right, to get to get people off the sofa to stop just imbibing the media of what the media is telling you about, actually go and do their own research. Yeah, it's a, it's a distinct these, step. These studies that have been appearing on the preprint servers. I don't know what that means. Well, I didn't until um, probably a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I think with a lot of scientific publications now being published online, <clears throat> and many of them in open source journals, something that uh, seems to have cropped up are these preprint servers where you can view uh, advanced copies of research before they've been peer reviewed. Right. Reviewing in science is a really important part of the scientific process. Um, it's where your peers, that's why it's called peer review, uh, experts in the field have a chance to review your research, the methods that you've used, the results that you've obtained and the, the conclusions that you've drawn, and to pick it apart if, uh, effectively and, and to see whether the science stacks up. It's not perfect. Some science still slips through that shouldn't. But um, you know, over time, it's been, I guess, used as a way of just making sure that um, fraudulent claims are not going through, that sloppy science isn't being published, sloppy research, sloppy methodology, um, or just plain bad, you know, experimentation as well. Um, but the rise of the preprint servers has been such that people can access these articles, these reports of, of research before that peer review happens, before the experts, <laughs> you know, like if they are that, uh, get a chance to critique the work. And that could be dangerous in the, and, and I think we're seeing some of that right you know, at the moment with COVID because there's such a rush to get research out there um, and be the first as well to get research out there that it wouldn't surprise me that there is sloppy research being done, that there are bits of work being published before they should be. Um, and, that, and that can be dangerous if the wrong conclusions are being drawn. It also puts this work into the realms of um, people who don't understand, you know, the nuts and bolts of the research and, and just draw from snippets of conclusions that are drawn perhaps by the, by the authors. So, um, but what I'm seeing as well is there's a lot of um, withdrawals then of publications from these preprint servers once they are peer reviewed and critiqued a lot of them are being withdrawn or re, um i can't remember the right word for it now re rescinded yeah yeah something like that do you think there's an opportunity here because for well what i'm trying to get at is peer review sounds like a healthy thing right because mm -hmm. if you've got good research good results and you know put it all together really well then it's credible right yep. But what about if the people that are reviewing your stuff, you know, what about if you're like Mary Black and you're standing up and saying, actually, you know what, well, you need to be accountable for what you've done because this is mm -hmm. criminal. This mm -hmm. is criminal what you've done. Well, 
now all my peers are going to review that statement and they're not going to let that get published. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So I'm not saying that it is corrupt, but, you know, academia is pretty cutthroat, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> there's a lot of prestige and a lot of legacies, all that mm. sort of stuff, reputations on the line, future mm. research funding. Mm. It's possible. It's possible that there could have been good research done that isn't getting out. So that's yeah. reassure necessarily. You're um, right. You know, no system's perfect, and and the peer review process is there to stop bad research coming through. Yeah. It shouldn't be there to stop competitive groups from publishing, but there is no doubt that occasionally that happens there is also no doubt that occasionally peer review is used to push through research which um to push an agenda which uh, which shouldn't be pushed mm. seen examples of that as well yeah um yeah so no system's perfect but you know some kind of review i think is important um to maintain quality it's kind of a quality control check yeah absolutely yeah definitely agree with quality control for sure I also have a lot of uh, belief in the fact that people should be able to choose for themselves though, right? And this is the thing, it's like, we're having one side of the debate removed. Yeah. The platforms, you say, well, okay, Facebook, YouTube, whatever platform people are you know, getting their messages out on, that are companies that are owned by yeah. that place. So they have the right to show them what they don't want to show. But in another way, it's almost like we've become dependent on the technology. Our addiction to technology has become so great, we, we can't operate without it. And now we're all just plugging into the screen. We're all being subjected to the same kind of information and messages through the social media and stuff like that. I mean, we've really, we're, we're stuck on it, right? We can't not turn this thing off, right? And at the same time, we know that we're sort of probably a little bit sinister in it, sort of the way it wants mm -hmm. to push us, mm -hmm. right? And just look at the COVID example of that, right? If we if we were allowed to make our own decisions on the facts as opposed to what we were just allowed to see, and we get that debate. Having one side of that argument taken away, even if you disagree with it, is still unhealthy. I mean, that's just pushing it straight into uh, yeah. into Newspeak in 1984, right? It's, it's, it's almost like materialising in front of our eyes, you know? It's, it's, it's interesting how this situation has brought about a real focus on conspiracy theories and how conspiracy theories propagate and almost the, the desire to quash them by censoring them is counterproductive because it just makes them gain more traction <laughs> but there doesn't seem to be a good way of counteracting some of these conspiracy theories because they develop a life of their own based around a, a tiny kernel of truth, which is blown out of proportion or uh, twisted somehow. But because there's a little bit of truth there, you know, a little bit of searching will go, all right, so that, that's true. Um, so then the whole thing gets twisted and, and manipulated uh, to someone's cause and it, it just seems to grow and grow from there and, and it's built on that kernel of truth mm. um, and once that kind of i don't know if it must reach a, a critical mass and and then it it can't be put down it can't be 
closed off. It's just going to persist forever. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's well, as dangerous because it becomes, almost becomes bigger than the truth, if you like, you know, whatever that is, itself. Yeah. 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 Well, what is the truth? What is the truth? Yeah. So it's, uh, I remember, you know, 10, 15 years ago, sort of, you know, I was one of the ones who would find watching David Icke quite funny, but you, you, you listen to him now and he's like, hang on a minute. He's he pretty much got it <laughs> up to now. He's pretty much got it, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's all kind of hinged on, if you think about all of our legislation, all of our law, all of our financials, operations, mm -hmm. all of ways of conducting business, the way that we relate to each other as human beings, our parents, our children, our husbands, wives, lovers, all those interactions are all behaviours that are based on the fact that our perception of the world is real. Yeah. And it's the only version that there is. You know? But the further we go into this, this discovering the realms of uh, quantum physics, uh, you, you suddenly start to realise that actually we're not as solid as we think we are. We don't understand how we can move through these vibrational frequencies, but things do move through vibrational frequencies. You know what I mean? It's like, I can't hear the radio playing in my head right now, but the radio waves are moving through me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's not to say that there aren't messages being pumped into me that I'm not picking up on that I can't see, hear, touch, feel, or taste. So all that stuff seems really wacky. So oh, it's conspiracy theory. The term conspiracy theory to me kind of is somebody attempting to try and belittle or um, sort of mock uh, someone's opinion it's just an idea right and it's not like a conspiracy theory is an untrue fact it would be otherwise it would be conspiracy hypothesis right it's like there has to be like one or two grains of truth that people are pulling together and say okay well maybe it's just a coincidence yeah absolutely but how much of our lives decisions have been taken as a result of a coincidence We've all had moments like that, huge transitions in our life from one really seemingly inconsequential moment. If we looked to the left instead of the right, we wouldn't have seen it. And then, you know. Yeah. And I, and I think these are what make conspiracy theories so compelling, aren't they? It's because we've all had those moments that of coincidences and mm. where things have not quite been what they seem. So we, we all look at these things and go, all right, okay, well, if that's what they're saying, then maybe it's true and um and there are enough if there are enough people wanting to believe it because it fits with their agenda then it'll get spread and the the internet's so powerful for spreading a message these days i mean conspiracy theories can spread um or alternative hypotheses of about what's going on can spread um yeah. at a rate of knots and there seems to be maybe one way of, of telling whether something is a conspiracy theory or not is how fast it spreads. The truth spreads more slowly than, um, than the fabricated uh, version. <laughs> the sensationalism of it all. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that point. Yeah. Yeah. There's the, um, always the element though, isn't it? It's like the conspiracy theory is, 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 is made to look ridiculous in the face of the truth. Right. Yeah. But the truth that we hold as truth is we, we can't really begin to know what the truth is, right? Because mm -hmm. if we, the truth is we have a government, right? Well, we have a government and it makes decisions for us, right? And they sometimes they get it right and sometimes they get it wrong, right? 
but we'll never understand the truth of why the government's doing what it's doing. Mm -hmm. So think about people like Fauci at the moment, right? Who seems to be calling all the shots in terms of what's happening. And you know, his mate is Bill Gates, who's a computer programmer, who suddenly with other world medical experts, it's like, hang on a minute, Bill, you're not a world medical expert, you're a computer programmer, right? Well, he's not even that, really. <laughs> True, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's not even a programmer, yeah. Um, now these Fauci particularly has been, you know, in the shadows, if you like, of, of the last five uh, U.S. I say regimes, right? The, the last five times the, the, the White House has changed hands, mm. Fauci's always been in the same spot. So there are people that are attributed to these kind of groups, like the World Health Organization, who clearly will have connections and links with the pharmaceutical industry, who will clearly have links with people who have got wealth to buy shares in their products. Right? That's 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 what's running the show. Right? Mm -hmm. They're in control of everything. They're pulling the shots. You can't vote them out. Mm -hmm. You can't vote out. Yeah. Right. right? And uh, he's seemingly he's good at what he does. Right. So he's he's not going to get the sack. So mm -hmm. we can't remove people like that. And that's really where the problem stems from, in my opinion. We can complain about the government and the ineptitude. The fact that they're that incompetent and they're that inept, you have to be a puppet on a string. Because mm. if you just sat down and thought about it or meditated on it for one moment, like I wonder how often Boris Johnson or Donald Trump meditate, yeah? To actually <laughs> sit down and try and think strategically. Because if they sat down and thought strategically about what they were doing, what the heck am I doing here? Do you know what I mean? Why would I, why would I choose to be in this position of stress constantly all the time? You know? It's kind of strange. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So it's uh, there's the the power is really above the government and above the media. It's the people that would be owning the media and the pharmaceuticals and stuff like that. That's really where the issues come so you, you, you work your way up and you become like, smaller and smaller groups of people right become the power bodies that are calling the shots you know mm -hmm. you could probably get it down to one hand probably power players right and so 7.7 .7 billion people just do what these 10 people do right it's like It is just like being sheep, isn't it? The cows, it's like you could easily overrun that shepherd. You could easily overrun that farmer. Just squash him in the war. He'd be dead. Mm -hmm. But they don't. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You don't. <laughs> yeah. Delving into the world of, of conspiracy theories, though, it was, um, yeah, you take two or three coincidences that sort of, you know, dictate how your life's going. Mm. Well, really, every moment in your life is one of those moments, right? So if you've got all these conspiracy theories that have got these little grains of kernels of the truth that are attached to them, mm. how, how many of those attachments do you have to have before you can start calling it a credible theory? I think it depends on the, the kernel, doesn't it, of truth, um, and whether those kernels are actually true. I mean, I, I was, you mentioned Bill Gates, and because you mentioned him last week as well, I was, I was trying to find out a little bit of information about the conspiracy theories that surround him and vaccines in Africa. And came across the um, reports of um, anti-fertility vaccines that he was supposedly funding uh, the, the distribution of in 
I can't remember which country it was. I think it was was it Gambia or somewhere like that. Where there's black people, Burkina Faso or something like that. And um, you know, and the kernel of truth there. Well, there are, there are several really tenuous kernels of truth. One of them is that a um, anti-fertility vaccine has been in developed has been in development 40 years ago um, which involved the DTP vaccine which was the the vaccine which Bill Gates was distributing in, in Kenya or wherever Kenya I think it was um, so there was there was that kind of connection there but actually so then the, the how did that then transpire so there was a, a report from Kenyan doctors who had taken some samples of this DTP vaccine shipped them off to a lab in South Africa where they'd had them tested and they'd found um, an, uh, a human hormone and uh, anti-fertility hormone in them laced it was the wording that was used laced into the into the vaccine So they they kind of brought these two things together and said, so it must be true. But actually, you can't create an anti-fertility vaccine by lacing DTP with the hormone. The, the DTP vaccine has to be conjugated, actually chemically connected to the hormone in order to create the antibodies, which would be the anti-fertility antibodies. You can't actually just lace the DTP vaccine with a small amount of, of the hormone. It wouldn't work. But there's enough truth in that that people can go, all right, then. Yeah, okay. And see how that, you know, it's, it's got this hormone in there. And that's been researched 40 years ago. So I can, that, that makes sense. Yeah. But it just wouldn't work. Lacing it with the hormone just wouldn't work. Well, it's possible and, there could be a, just a lack of uh, knowledge on it. Well, you know, that's right. And so maybe. And then you find out that the lab used that the tested this vaccine that was laced with this hormone. Um, well, the test that's used for the hormone is actually developed for use on biological fluids, so human plasma, uh, urine. It's not validated for use on something like a vaccine. And the reagents that are used. Uh, well, even tap water can have trace amounts of this hormone in it. So if you've diluted your reagents with tap water, you could pick up trace amounts of, of the hormone. So there are any number of issues when you actually start to dig into the story and pick out these kernels of truth that, um, that the story starts to fall down. But most people... Most people won't do that because it takes time to dig out that research. Another element of people can't do that because, well, I mean, I've got some scientific background. I've been trained. I've spent seven years at university studying this kind of stuff, uh, and I've got an interest in it as well. So um, I actually do go out and, and find out what's going on and I try to understand it and I've got some background to be able to understand it. Most yeah. people don't and not through any fault of their own. And, and so this kind of 
teasing apart of these kernels of truth that are pieced together really cleverly, uh, it's not possible for many people to do. Yeah, well, that's dangerous. I, well, it's very difficult to be motivated about it if you're mm. if you're going to do something that's quite daunting and using language you don't know and you don't really know where to look for this stuff and then you right. find it, you, you don't know what it means. Um, and then you well, quite often you have to pay for the research as well. If you want quality research, you have to pay for it, which most people aren't expecting. So they'll be like, oh, we'll hit that barrier. And, we'll that's right. do it. and then you just get bored and fed up and the kids need feed and stuff like that. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So, right. yeah, so you're quite, it's a good, powerful, uh, it's a good, powerful quality to have if you're interested in it and you have the capacity to go and find research and do it. There is always the element though of, um, no, we, we talk about, um, I got into using functional exercise with my patients because I found mm -hmm. it a really powerful addition to, to maintaining the effects of what I was getting in treatment. And for the people that use it, it works really well. A lot of people don't use it because it's unfamiliar, right? But that stuff wasn't taught to me at university, mm. right? So under the gamut of osteopathy that I've graduated and been qualified and licensed to practice, um, you know, what I was taught at university wasn't going to actually help those, the patients to maintain the effects of treatment. It was all like getting people well and being safe whilst you do it. Mm. So if you like, that's inside the dogma, that's inside, if you like, the inside science, right? That's being used into the scientific method and all that sort of stuff. But the stuff yeah. that I learned outside of it had got no uh, academic process to it. It's all just like, you know, it's out there. It's just in the big bad world of, you know, exercise gurus and personal trainers. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people in that trade, you know, just follow conventional wisdom. They don't actually sit down and try and work out what exercise is actually good for people. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had to go outside of academia to learn that. Yeah. And so they've got license to, to, to say what they want and experiment with what they want, which is kind of a double thing going on because you, there's a lot of rubbish out there, right? Which is unquantifiable and it's just like completely hocus pocus. Yeah. But because they aren't constrained by the, the slow scientific academic process, they can get on and try stuff. And some of that stuff works really well. And well, you know, we, we talked about Wim Hof and he's come up again today. You know, that's a perfect example of um, a practitioner who's developed his own methodology that really was an experiment on himself and nobody else. Um, but he found benefit in it. Uh, and then the research came afterwards. But that the research which is now being conducted into what he's doing and how he's controlling supposedly uncontrollable elements of his body, body's function, that only came about because one man was prepared to take that on and, and the, the advances that are being made now because of that would never have happened as you've said at the speed at which they have without that so um it's a perfect example of, of how things can progress outside of uh the establishment if, if people so that, don't con uh, yeah. confine themselves to the dogma Precisely. And in a way, that's kind of what conspiracy theorists, in my opinion, are. Mm. They're just free thinking people. I mean, if you wanted to sit down and you wanted to brainstorm ideas about how you could develop products for your business or how you can increase customer sale, whatever the thing is that you improve, how can you improve it? You're brainstorming, you're just coming up with ideas. And so not every conspiracy theory is going to hold up, right? But let's just, for example, let's just say that there was a conspiracy between the media and the government to get people mm. scared and get people wanting a vaccine. 
And now you bring in the pharmaceutical company who's going to pay the government. And the media are going to benefit as well because they're going to tell everybody that this is really important. So now we've got all these three things going on. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the people who own the ph- shares in the pharmaceutical companies who are profiting massively from this as well. And you look at what sort of level on the strata they're at. You know, and let's just say, for example, that there is such a thing as, you know, I think Oxford University have, have actually issued a paper stating that what we joke about is telling calling people chemtrails, not vapor trails, but chemtrails. It's actually now been officially uh, referenced by Oxford University is geoengineering, right? They are sending uh, metal particles and spraying it through clouds, right? I mean, it's, it's going on. It's already been officially documented, right? Well, they do it in uh, parts of America to uh, seed clouds so that, that it rains more often across the plains. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, right? So, you know, that stuff was a joke before. It was ridiculed because it's like it's just a crackpot. You can start wearing tin foil on your head, right? But lo and behold, turns out actually there's some truth in it, right? And it, it's actually legitimate and it's actually going on. And, you know, you could take two or three of those things. You could say, well, okay, maybe there's a conspiracy theory between the World Health Organization wanting to control and do- dominate everybody. You talk about our incessant need for slavery, right? That you've got it. You're going to get everybody bagged up with microchips. You're going to get them whacked out of their eyes on vaccines. So they're going to be really reduced in their physical and mental capacities but they're going to be able to generate energy or heat or whatever it is you need to suck out of a human being in order to make it profitable. And we will walk into that. Mm. Because Elon Musk will say, well, yeah, having a microchip is actually really advantageous because it doesn't mean if you lose your watch, it doesn't matter. You're still connected to the grid. You can still be optimal. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like Elon Musk says it. <laughs> Everybody of this born after, you know, 1985 is going to just say, oh, that's got to be good. That's right. Technology has to be good. It has to be high advantage. It's always like, you know, do you remember mobile phones when they first started coming out? It was always like, oh, it's just for emergencies, right? It's, of yeah. course it's for emergencies. They're going to play on your fear. And it's like, well, now you've got it. You might as well call your mum or you might as well call your mate. And all of a sudden, we've got this whole social media thing based on the fear that your car might break down and you don't want to mm-hmm. get you know, bumped on the head or yeah. you know, forced to be someone that doesn't do their teeth. You know what I mean? And so it's always about, you know, the nice things about social media connections and all that kind of stuff. But really... You know, it, 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 it's all about profit for these people. It's uncensored, unlimited profit, right? So they're not going to use that to start conditioning. Like, you don't have to do If you've got Alexa or something listening to your device right now, we've got our cameras on on our thing. This is your whole show is being recorded as a video. It's going to be mm-hmm. Someone's got a copy of this. Someone will be listening to this. Yeah? We hope um, someone's listening to this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but Alexa's listening all the time. Mm switch it off so how do you know that's switched off you don't know that's switched off you just flip the button that says it's off and it's not got a light on it anymore but how do you know that's not listening to everything you're saying yeah so so that's actually quite convenient that now the next time i open my facebook page i've got this advert for this holiday that i was just talking to my friend about just five Mm -hmm. seconds ago Mm -hmm. you can say that's convenient but what about if somebody had control of that machine or that computer that was watching what you were saying and deleting everything and enforcing and punishing you for saying something that was different from the party line yeah and but sadly this <laughs> maybe i'm just going to be um doing exactly what i've been talking about not doing <laughs> <laughs> but sadly that's possible you know and it's true it's happening already we know that alexa listens in and um i don't have alexa so can't listen to, that particular one can't listen in to me um but 
we know it happens. We know that Facebook monitors, monitors what we post on there and feeds us adverts accordingly. And we know that they can use that information. We also know that um, despite data being anonymized, that by clever data analysis, just three bits of personal, unrelated personal information put back together again can identify exactly where, who the source of that information was. And, uh, you know, that, that's the power of statistics and the, the big data algorithms that they're using. And we know this happens because there are people publishing papers showing how it can be done oh. and showing how Google and uh, Facebook are actually doing it and, and Amazon and Apple and all of them. So, you know, we know that kind of um, monitoring goes on. And, and we also know that as as consumers of all of this free information that's out there, when the terms and conditions come up, which tell us how they're going to use data, none of us read it. We all just immediately click on accept. Yep. And we just give our data away. That's our permission for them to use our data in any which way they feel fit, pretty much. He says, just perpetuating the conspiracy theory. Yeah. Well, this is the thing, right? So it does sound very conspiratory theory, theoretical, right? Yeah. It does sound like that something. Yep. You know, if this had been 10 years ago, you might have been going, oh, Gareth's going to get Tim Ford on his head again. Come on, Gareth, come on. Come on, it's just a bit of fun. Do you know what I mean? But there's actually truth in this. That's what I mean. Like, you take these things that sort of seem really sort of out there and grandiose and ridiculous, but if there is a grain, grain of truth in it, it surely shows enough correlation, right? So it's not, correlation is not causation, but a correlation is like, well, there's, there's something that would be of interest in taking further here. Yeah. There's something connecting these three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, a hundred kernels of truth. There's something connecting them all. It's worth looking at because if there's a strong mm -hmm. correlation, then there might be a, an answer, a possible causation. But we don't, because if it's a conspiracy theory, then it's just ridiculous. We just laugh it off and mock the person. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess some conspiracy theories are easier to accept than others. And, um, you know, and, and I guess that's true for different people as well. Some people find some conspiracies easier to accept than others. Um, I, for example, find it difficult to accept the one that says that pharmaceutical companies caused coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic in order to sell more vaccines. Um, other people will find that perfectly plausible and, uh, and believable. I, <laughs> just because I don't doesn't mean it's not true. Well, no, absolutely. People need to find out for themselves and do their own research and figure that one out. Yeah, but there's a danger, isn't there? If, if, if you and I both have different opinions, say I did believe that pharmaceutical groups were injured. You could argue indirectly because pharmaceuticals have been weakening people and, and, and destroying their immune systems mm. over a long period. So you could argue that it is indirectly responsible, if not directly. But anyway, let's say I was a pure Trump supporter and I was going, no, the pharmaceutical companies are doing this. No disrespect to Trump supporters. Yeah. Uh, you know, we should have that debate and we could have that or differences of opinions, not necessarily debating with each other, but we could just have your opinion stored somewhere and my opinion stored somewhere. Mm -hmm. People should be able to get access to both of those opinions. Yeah, yeah I agree. That's not, it's not what was happening now. Like we're having one side of the debate taken away. No, I agree. Which only leaves you with the media. 
to get your information, which is obviously, as we you know, well established, is kind of futile. So, yeah, like you know, we never know the truth, basically. However, something always out there, Scully. That's right, somewhere. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll all, we'll all know when we when we shuffle off our mortal coil, it'll all be revealed to us. Oh, I'm yeah, sure. Um, but there is, um, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a wonderful opportunity because it's so easy to get sucked into that sort of railroad of what you should be thinking and how you should be feeling and you know what you should be expecting other people's behaviours to be during these times because it's all being told you what to do, but nobody's telling you to meditate, nobody's telling you to sit down and pay attention to your breathing, nobody's telling you to sit down and pay attention to your numbers. Right? And we all know why, don't we? Why is that then? Because it's free. Well, yeah, <laughs> I learned that from you. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, if you had to pay to watch your numbers, I suppose. Well, yeah. you would just you end up to meditate. You have to pay to uh, to breathe or go out into the sunshine. But it's so difficult to change tack, isn't it? Like once you're locked into that railroad of like fear and response, it becomes very difficult to actually. Oh, hang on a minute. Maybe even if you've got the awareness to listen to your breathing, have you really mm -hmm. got? If you tried sitting down and try and concentrate on it for 10 minutes, hopeless, do you know what I mean? There's just no chance. You're not going to get anywhere near 10 minutes. And how much of our day is spent doing the opposite of relaxing? You know? well, that's right. And then productive in, men, in any number of ways that we can engineer. Um, when, as you say, 10 minutes of breathing, focusing on our breathing would be so much more productive, even though it doesn't feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, I think we should... Um, bring things to an end. I'm sure we've, uh, we've filled at least two hours. We'll be overrunning and uh, our producer will be tearing their hair out, trying to figure out how to cram this into a two hour slot. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, be fascinating, Paul. Um, don't leave it so long next time. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for that. It's my bad. No excuses. My yeah. bad. Um, but what I do love is the whole thing about just, you know, re relax, just look at you, know where you are, look at your numbers and meditate on it every day until it becomes a subconscious process. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, the analogies with health and business yet again. Yeah, absolutely. And um, always enlightening. Make sure you get your sunshine now because you're going to need it in the winter. You're going to need. Absolutely. Need get a double dose. So watch out for sunburn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll talk about that one another show. All right, then. Very good. Excellent. Yeah. Take care, everybody. Listen to, look forward to um, having you on the show next time. Yeah, lovely. Thanks very much. Great. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Well Engaged podcast. Hope you enjoyed the conversation today. Uh, tune in again for another chat between myself and uh, my co-host, Paul Tootleman. Same time next week. Bye-bye.